January is a month for resolutions, that chance to set your goals for the year. I feel kind of bad. I don't have a resolution this year, so I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. My resolution this year was to do employee evaluations on time, which is like the lamest resolution ever. But when you're governor, your goals are a little bit bigger than just trying to make it to the gym more often. And as I stand before you today, I'm recommitting myself and my administration to bold ideas that move Colorado forward, to take on our greatest challenges with determination, with optimism, and including the voice of all Coloradans. Governor Jared Polis kicked off his second term with a state of the state address that was longer than any he'd given before. Who do we as Coloradans want to be in our 150th year? How can our work now and over the next couple of years make that Colorado possible? He was very focused on one thing more than any other. Let's start with housing, housing, more housing, housing prices, homeownership. We need more housing now. More housing choices, housing, housing, more housing now, making housing more affordable. That one word is enough to launch a big fight and massive discussion across all levels of government. And it could shape what else Democrats get done this year. This is Purplish from CPR News, a podcast about Colorado politics, policy, and for this episode, all things Governor Polis. I'm Benta Berkland, and I'm joined by a special guest. She's usually behind the microphone, my editor, Megan Verlee. Thanks for being on this week's episode. It's good to be here. I'm here because Andy Kenny somehow managed to get vacation on the week of the State of the State. I know. Ooh, How did yes. that happen? <laughs> And what's really significant about this annual State of the State Address is it's really the first chance for the governor to specifically lay out his agenda for the next four months. That's right. The governor gets to throw up some bright neon signs about what he wants to see done. And when he leaves things out, he's also sending a message about what he's not prioritizing. Polis certainly did both of those things in his speech this year. He really dialed in on housing as a topic that will occupy him not just this legislative session or this year, but maybe for the rest of his final term in office. And Polis left a lot unsaid in a couple of areas we already know Democrats want to make progress on, for instance, stricter gun laws and abortion. That's right. And it means we know which fights the governor is ready to have and which he may be working behind the scenes to avoid. Going into this State of the State address, we've heard a lot from Polis over the years. He's been governor for four years. And we knew heading into this speech that housing was a top priority, making Colorado more affordable. It's something he's talked about a lot. Megan, were you surprised how much the topic of housing came up in the speech? I was surprised, but I felt like I shouldn't have been. And to explain that, back during the fall campaign, Andy identified housing as a big priority for Polis in his second term. He did an interview with Polis on the topic and came back and said, I think this is all he wants to do if he wins re-election. And I felt like, eh, you know, I'm not hearing it talked about that much in the debates. Like, he's actually not that far apart from Heidi Ganahl and sort of his big aims. Like, is this really the marquee issue? And this speech laid it to rest. Andy was 
dead right. I can say that because he's not here to hear me say it. He was completely right. This is what Polis wants to put his energy into, is remaking how housing gets built in the state and where it gets built. And one thing he did in this speech is he linked housing to other policies. Housing policy is climate policy. Housing policy is transportation policy. Housing policy is economic policy. Housing policy is water policy. And housing policy is public health and equity policy. I thought that was really smart because then you're not just talking to the people who care about housing, but you're telling the environmental groups, hey, my housing policy, it's going to be good for the environment because it's going to cut down on single occupant cars on all the roads. He's saying to the water people, hey, I want to build dense so that we can be more efficient with water. He's saying to the transportation people, I want smart development so we don't have to overextend our road network and we can take care of the infrastructure we have. It's like he was trying to pull in all these constituencies and say, hey, my thing is actually your thing. Even for Republicans and conservatives, he said he wanted to streamline regulations and cut through government red tape to spur development in the private sector. And I think that's something that is appealing to Republicans. Like one person told me the devil's in the details. We do have some concrete things. The governor talked about more flexible zoning, more sustainable development, building near transit, denser development. But a lot of these ideas could put the governor and the state certainly on this collision course with cities and counties. Absolutely. Because, as we've said in the past, what gets built has usually been under the power of the local government. We all live someplace. I live in Denver. You live in Jeffco. You want to do something to your house in Denver, you've got to go downtown and get permitted and follow their rules. Same in Jeffco, same everywhere across the state. And what other states have been moving towards, like California, and what it sounds like Governor Polis is moving towards is really putting some guardrails on what those local governments can tell you you can't do. What's really interesting about that is part of the governor's pitch during his State of the State address for these policies around housing was the fact that he does not want Colorado to be like California. In California, decades of poor planning has led to interruptions of drinking water and electricity for entire towns and cities. Average home prices, over a million dollars in major cities. And 16 lane freeways, I had to look this up, I didn't believe it. Yes, 16 lane freeways with bumper to bumper traffic. We are not California, we are Colorado. Republicans especially cheered when he said that, but interesting that you're making that reference to California. Exactly, because it made sense to say we don't want to get where California has gotten to, but it actually seems like he may end up importing some policies that that state has passed in recent years to try to get out of the situation that it's in. But as we talked about pushback with local communities, and we've already started to hear that, I talked to John Southers, and he's a Republican. He's the mayor of Colorado Springs, one of the biggest metro areas in the state. A lot of growth happening in southern Colorado in the springs. He attended the governor's State of the State address, and I was able to talk to him right after the speech. I had a Zoom conference with he and his staff, and we were about three minutes in, and I said, Governor, this isn't just uh, housing affordability. This is state-mandated land use. And he says, oh, we don't call it that. And I said, I don't care what you call it. That's what it is. He may have the votes, but it's not going to go over well in local government. 
That is such a great pullback on the curtain to hear what these conversations are sounding like behind the scenes, at least from Mayor Souther's perspective. And I think we're going to hear that very loudly in the legislature if some of these more ambitious policies start running. And I've been wondering how state lawmakers are going to fall on this because, yes, they're state lawmakers. They make the laws for the state, but they all come out of local communities. All of their voters live in local communities. I think a lot of them are going to be hesitant to get behind bills that may be portrayed at home as changing the character of where their voters have chosen to live. It's tricky. Even though Democrats have these huge majorities, like you said, people represent communities across the state. Just typically in the legislature, counties, cities, towns, people who represent those areas have a lot of power at the Capitol. If you think about it, he mentioned accessory dwelling units, granny flats. That's something that Denver has been pushing pretty hard. Transit-oriented development, that's something you're already seeing in the Denver metro area. I could imagine if you are a lawmaker that represents communities outside of metro Denver, you might be really worried that the policies Polis puts forward are already acceptable in the metro areas and so can get votes from the metro area lawmakers and then are going to be applied to your little community out wherever you came from. It could turn into a real kind of Denver versus the state thing, which is a dynamic we see not infrequently at the Capitol. And, you know, to add to that dynamic, a lot of the Republican lawmakers represent more rural areas. I think this will be an easy one for Republican lawmakers to fight. Now, they don't have the votes, but will they peel off some Democrats? That's the the interesting question. Well, to move from the thing that the governor really wanted to talk about in his speech, housing, Let's go to something that I think a lot of us were listening for in the speech and barely heard anything about. That is the issue of gun control. That's right. We know that passing stricter gun laws is a top priority for some of the Democrats in the legislature. On the opening day of session, they talked about enacting a waiting period for all firearm purchases and increasing the age to purchase certain firearms. And then we've also confirmed that there is a bill in the works that would ban assault weapons. So it wouldn't require people to give up the guns they already legally possess, but moving forward, there would be a ban. Interestingly, the governor didn't talk about any of those policies during his State of the State address. He did not. When he talked about guns, he mentioned strengthening the red flag restraining order by allowing district attorneys to file those orders that would let a a judge take away someone's guns. Because right now it's just family, close, immediate family, as well as law enforcement. Exactly. So he wants one more person in that equation and cracking down on ghost guns, making Colorado's law around self-assembled manufactured guns tougher. But those are significantly less controversial positions than what Democratic lawmakers are talking about, as you just mentioned. Although expanding the extreme risk protection order, I think, would be controversial, especially if there's negotiation of how many people could file these requests. That doesn't mean someone's guns will be taken away, but it increases the likelihood if more people can petition a judge to do that. But the legislature's never discussed an assault weapons ban. So if that bill comes forward, I don't know how that's going to go. I do know in the House, Democrats can lose 13 votes and still pass a bill like that. 
that number makes me feel like this is the big cliffhanger of the session at this point, because we know the bill is going to be introduced, or at least we think it will. There can always be things happening behind the scenes that keep a bill from actually making it onto paper. The way you describe it, it feels like it would be very hard for this bill not to pass the House. Then it gets to the Senate where the Democratic majority is smaller, but also where the committees are very evenly divided, three Dems, two R's. So things can die more easily in committee. I feel like an assault weapons ban, that is such a huge policy shift for this state, just so far beyond what lawmakers have considered possible on firearms policy that unless you really have a governor pushing for it, I have to think at some point it's going to hit a stumbling block and not make it forward. But the giant question mark is where and how when you do have a lot of Democrats for whom this is literally a life or death issue. Right. And people ran on this issue. They have historically large majorities. And I've talked to Democrats who feel like if we're not going to do things like this now, when are we going to do it? Why wouldn't we do this? Ryan Warner talked to Polis right after the State of the State speech and specifically asked the governor about an assault weapon ban. And Polis you know, didn't say yes or no. He's not going to say that. But what he did say is, we know that assault weapons and automatic weapons have been heavily restricted since the 80s. You need a federal license, extensive background check. There's only about 10,000 or so in the state of Colorado. And I'm not aware of any uh, recent gun crimes that a assault weapon or automatic weapon has been used in. To go back to a phrase that I think you've already said once in this episode, the devil is in the details. It sounds like the governor there is saying, hey quote-unquote assault weapons, a really narrow category. We don't have to worry about it because it's so restricted. What we're already hearing from opponents of the proposed ban is that it's actually much more broad-based, that it might affect much larger classes of weapons. It's interesting. I think Polis in his first four years had a lot of luck only having to fight the battles in the legislature that he wanted to fight. Like occasionally the legislature would go someplace he didn't want to go on climate or on other issues, but mostly he got to pick his fights. If the legislature and there are, as you've said, lawmakers who ran on this, who for whom this is the chief issue, if they dig in and say we are going to have this fight this year, does Polis get on board or at least get out of the way? Or does he dig in his heels and say, hey, guys, I'm going to fight you on this one because you're taking the attention away from all the housing stuff I want to do? That could end up being one of the giant questions of this session. I think you're absolutely right. And we don't have time to get into every topic they're going to talk about this session. But from education to the budget to fiscal policy, there's just so much they'll be tackling this session. But I think what happens around criminal justice and gun control will be something we'll have to be monitoring very closely. We've talked a lot about the governor's State of the State address and what it means for the legislative session in the next four months, what policies may pass, what may not, what the governor is going to prioritize. But he's also entering his final four years in office. And I think he's also looking ahead to how he wants to leave the state. And I talked a little bit about that with the Democratic Senate President Steve Fenberg. He's close to the governor. The governor is his constituent. And he reflected on how he thinks Polis is viewing things at this moment in time. I think he's thinking a lot more about the long-term legacy after he's even governor. Um, when you talk about the housing issues, we're not going to turn that around in a year. That is a long-term play. 
because he, like he said, he doesn't want to become California. Uh, he doesn't want that to happen on his watch. And you have to make decisions now on those issues because it'll impact what our state looks like 10 years, 20 years from now. I think Polis actually set his sights even bigger in that speech. He had this whole theme about how the state's coming up on its sesquicentennial, its 150th anniversary in 2026. Try to say that fast five times. Sesquicentennial, 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 sesquicentennial. Wow. I'm, <laughs> I've been practicing. I didn't even think you'd do that. That's awesome. <laughs> but he was like actually casting the speech in the light of the next 150 years in the state. Now, I don't think his policy goals are really that far into the future. But yeah, this was a legacy speech in a lot of ways. The governor's known to be very hands-on with the legislature, and I think that will continue and maybe even be more so. He has a new chief of staff. Who is a familiar face. That's right. Former House Speaker Alec Garnett. Garnett was in the legislature for eight years. He's worked on a lot of negotiations and policy, and that's who the governor selected as the chief of staff. So I think that says a lot. He's prioritizing getting the legislature to do what he wants. He's not getting a chief of staff who might be looking out toward Washington or looking external of the Capitol. He's getting a guy who knows how to get things done one floor up in the legislative chambers. Yes, and work with a lot of different constituencies. One thing to watch this session is how much Polis is pushing bills that he sees as setting a legacy for himself and how much he has to deal with the issues of the moment. It's always funny to sit here in the early days of the legislature and feel like we have a handle on what's going to happen. And then events occur and the focus could shift entirely. Well, exactly. And the governor reflected on that when you had COVID-19 and devastating wildfires, mass shootings. You know, There are dealing with things in the moment and we can't predict what the next four months will bring. And also every lawmaker has their own priority. They ran for office on certain issues. They're representing such diverse communities. We have lawmakers who come from so many different backgrounds. For the first time ever, women hold the majority in the legislature. And so I think that the governor lays out this detailed plan, and I think maybe much of what he wants could get accomplished. But there's so many uncertain things that we just can't even predict. So as we end on this note of uncertainty, Benta, I'm going to turn back to something that is an annual certainty, (laughs) which is that the governor will, in the course of his State of the State speech, always make at least one pop culture reference. Seems like it's usually Lord of the Rings, right? Well, I'm a little disappointed because I thought he actually managed a different one each year of his first term. There was Harry Potter. There was Lord of the Rings. There was Spider-Man. Star Trek? Uh, Yeah. Star Trek, Next Generation, yes. Megan, you should know that, so. Yes, you're right, I'm shamed. This year he went back to the well. He'd made a Frodo going to Mordor metaphor, and and he broke out his Yoda impression. Two available jobs for every unemployed Coloradan we have. That's right. We have two available jobs for every unemployed person in our state, as Yoda says. Am I the only one who didn't think that impression was bad? I, you know, I think it's a fine line between whether it was a good representation of what Yoda sounds like versus just a bad thing to hear in a state of the state speech. I think we were all just really glad that he didn't sing this year because, as you might recall, last year he really butchered a Paul Simon song (laughs) repeatedly. (laughs) 
I sometimes wonder, because they spend so much time crafting this speech, and I know some of the staff were working all weekend, and it's long hours, so I do wonder with the pop culture references, how many, you know, if they have like, okay, should we do these four or these four, or if it's just Polis says, no, this is the one I want to use. I have to say, I always just assume this is pure Polis, although I don't know if it's like genuinely a giant nerd who's really enjoying the fact that he can make nerd references on a state stage, or is this some kind of Machiavellian way to get (laughs) easily duped people like me to talk about the nerd reference and not spend more time getting into his policy? I don't know. I'm conflicted, but I can't help talking about it. That's it for this episode. Purplish is a production of member-supported Colorado Public Radio. Learn about becoming a member and join today at CPR.org. I'm Benta Brooklyn with my colleague, editor Megan Verlee. This episode was produced by Shane Rumsey. We'll be back in your podcast feed soon in February. So if you're not already a subscriber, be sure to sign up and make sure you don't miss it. If you're enjoying Purplish, please recommend us to your friends. This is Purplish from CPR News.